Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9 a.m. at Discovery Church in Boise, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill. So we've been in this sermon series we've gone La Familia, and I think that uh, at first... The initial reaction a lot of us have is La Familia is about like our families. You probably felt like, oh great, this is gonna be like something about like me being a better dad or me being a better wife or like whatever, whatever the, like that anxiety was. But I hope that we have been subverting those expectations along the way. I hope that at this point you're realizing that La Familia is not your nuclear family. Um, yeah, when we're, when we're talking about uh, La Familia, we're talking about this idea of oikos, this extended spiritual family that started literally with God's family, with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit before all time began, out of his love, creating all things, then instituting the family as the beginning, and then this family having this expansive meaning that is far beyond just husband and wife and children, but is this essential unit of God's grace in the world. It is only within those intimate relationships and friendships and covenant partnerships where we see the flourishing that's meant to be in God's creation. And so we started out talking about this oikos, this household, is not um, a household that's built by by our work, but it starts with the Father himself giving of himself and bestowing on us our identity as beloved children. So that's the beginning of the family of God, is God himself creates a family and invites us into it. And then says, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get you to join my family. And so he then lets his own son die so that you and I can be adopted into his family. That's like the beginning of God's family. And then he says, not only are you a part of my family, but you are going to be these, like we're invited into as the Imago Dei, also the work of creating these oikos in the world, where we become the family of God, who then becomes families that are a part of the household of God. So think of it as God's kingdom has tribes and has families, okay? So God's kingdom is all of creation, the tribes are these extended networks of families. And then our families on mission, that oikos is really meant to be what we call microchurch, which is these the irreducible minimum of what it looks like to live in God's family alongside others. And it, it includes not just ourselves and not just our spouses and not just our children, but those God brings into relationship with us. And so we invite other people to be a part of our oikos. And we look at Jesus, the way that he created a new family. When he was rejected by his own family, he created a new family with his disciples. 
this oikos that then would become the center of the movement of Jesus. He didn't entrust this gospel of the kingdom to his family because his family rejected him. So he had to create a new oikos to be the recipient of his way. And these 12 teenage boys started hanging out with him. And then what we see is by the time Jesus goes and like not only rises from the dead, but he ascends to heaven, we see probably somewhere around 120, 100-ish people in the upper room waiting on the Holy Spirit, which I think is a, like that's probably the, the maximum for this like micro oikos kind of extended spiritual family is right around that 100, 120, because beyond that, you can't be known and can't be seen, but that was the plan. And then immediately they get to 100, 120, and they realize uh, God's Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit just blasts open the doors and 3,000 people started following Jesus at Pentecost. And then what do they have to do? They don't build a big building to house them all. They meet in the courtyard to pray and then they go to their houses to have meals and to teach one another the apostles' teachings. So this is what we're talking about. It's the, the gathered and the scattered church, the way that we separate and go do what we're called to and the way that we come together. And one, one picture that I, I was reading John last night, just in a, in a preparation and prayer time, and I, something that I've read a hundred times but hadn't seen there, when Christ is hanging on the cross, there's something beautiful that I think has happened over the course of Jesus's ministry. From the beginning of his ministry, Jesus's mom is a threat to his calling. Jesus's mom comes along and tries to stop him from doing what he's called to do. And so he has to reject her and reject his brothers and sisters and say, I'm creating a new family with those that listen to my father and do what he says. But then at the end of the road, what happens? But his mother has become a part of this new oikos. Isn't that so cool? Like his mother joins back into the family of God, joins into Jesus's oikos. And then at the cross, I'm just moved by it. Um, Jesus looks on John and says, John, behold your mother. And he looks on Mary and says, Mary, behold your son. And he knows he won't be there for her, but he wants her to be cared for in this oikos, this family of God. This is what we're talking about when we talk about la familia. It's the family. So we've talked a lot about family these last few weeks. But now we're going to shift a little bit and talk about what does it look like to live into the rhythms of Oikos, the rhythms of family on mission, and what does it look like to live into the mission of the family on mission? So we've talked about how the family of God is not just a family that exists for itself, but we belong as a part of Missio Dei, the missioning God, the one who goes out and the, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. God's people are going to go out from there. We talked two weeks ago about how Peter was brought into the family business and he was challenged and saying, I'm going to, Jesus says, Oiko Dormeo, I'm going to build the house of my family, the Oiko Dormeo, the, the house of my family on you, Peter. And we talked about how like the people of God is the household of God. It's not a building, it's not a place, it is his people. We've talked about how family on mission has 
always has impact outside of itself. It's what our family does. It's our signature move. We look like Jesus. We live like Jesus. We have this rap, radical kind of hospitality that invite others into the family of God. And we tell them the good news that Jesus is king, that he's coming in power, and that all things will be set right in him, and that our invitation is to participate in the work that he's doing. This is the gospel. And so we see that the gospels, they use lots of discipleship language because that's the kind of oikos that Jesus is building with his disciples. And then we see that in the epistles, it shifts to family language, language that's about what the family looks like because Jesus had this like Marine style family band of brothers that were on this particular mission to not just learn the way, but to proclaim the kingdom in preparation for the coming of Pentecost. But what we see is that there's this shift once, once the kingdom comes, then we have to learn how to live as kingdom people in these households. And so the epistles of the New Testament are, are a lot of, of what that looks like. Okay, so we're going to dive into that today. So if you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 14, verse 6 is where we're going to start out. This is going to be a familiar passage, but we're going to try to tease some things out of it today. John chapter 14, verse 6, there it is behind me, says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, there's lots of layers to what's happening here. There's probably one layer that you've heard a lot about, and that's the layer that no one can get access to the Father except by the work of Jesus on the cross and his blameless life. Okay, so there's this, um, it's, it's really about justification. God sees us through Christ and we only have access through his work. It's not something that we do. It's not something that we can attain. We have to go through Christ to get access to the Father. That's one sense. The second sense is that Jesus is literally the way of the Father. Jesus is literally the truth of the Father. And Jesus is literally the life of the Father. So when we say Jesus is the way of the Father, we see that Jesus is everything that is true of the Father. And so if we want to have access to the Father, it's going to be by following the way of Jesus. And so we're going to watch what he does. When we, see, when we say that Jesus is the truth, we're not talking about... Um, somewhere along the way, probably, probably in the 19th century, the idea of truth um, took on a scientific meaning that is much more, um, I don't want to go deep here, but like truth started to mean propositions that were spoken and tested. That's not what Jesus is talking about when he says he is the truth. What he is saying is that Jesus is reality. He is the exact representation of who the Father is, what the Father does, and what the Father values. So when Jesus says he is the truth, he's literally saying, I am the one who knows because I have been with the Father. So don't get weird about saying like Jesus is the truth. Yes, he is 
the access to all truth, but truth is just the reality of all created order. And we're trying to discover it as humans, trying to make sense of it so that we can walk with God. So Jesus is the way, he's literally how we will walk in the way of the kingdom. He is the truth where he is the revelation of all that God is. And he is the life. And I think that um, because we're in John here and it's only four, four chapters after Jesus gives this picture of, he says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life that just overflows. So when Jesus says he is the life, he's not saying he is your heartbeat. He's not saying that he is your biological processes, although he sustains all things and he builds all things and everything in us that lives is him. What he's saying is that he is the way to the sort of abundant, overflowing kingdom reality that he's inviting us into. Jesus is the way and the truth and life. And what we're trying to build a picture of here is what we call a discipling culture. And so you have Jesus is the way we are going to we are going to watch him and everything he does and follow him. He is the truth. We are going to learn all about God from him. And what's happened is um, along the way, we the church is kind of like focused on one or two or th- or or others of these three. Um, you talk about truth and the church has been really good at information and words. That's what we do, right? We are a verbal culture. We get together and we talk and we say things and we write things down. That's what the church is good at because it's a really efficient way to transfer information. And we believe that the truth of God is shown, like God literally reveals himself as halagos, the word. And so word is essential to the nature of God in that he He's meant to be reality and, and meaning. Word, words are not um, words are not language. Words are literally the structures upon which we build narratives so that we understand the world. Okay, so when we say logos or we say word, what we're talking about is this is the structure and narrative around which we're going to make sense of the physical reality that we live in. And so it's not just words, but words are so vital to the way of the kingdom. And then you have um, work. Uh, we, we say life, but like the, the outpouring, the, the living out of the way of, of Jesus. And, and what we talk about is that this is where we take what we learn from Jesus and we go live it out and figure out ways to be his kingdom people all over the world. He sends us out from here and we just go and we innovate and we find interesting ways to like be his kingdom people in our families and our workplaces. But there's a middle piece that we're missing most of the time. And that's the way of the way it's imitation of Christ and it's learning how he does what he does. And we're great at the information and we're good at the innovation, but discipleship in the Oikos is about instruction where we sit with information apprenticeship where we imitate christ immersion where we take what we learn and we go figure out how to do it but it's all three at the same time jesus says i am the way and the truth and life not just the truth and the way not just the truth and the life i am the way and the truth and life and the texture in which discipleship thrives is what we call oikos or family. 
this is where the way comes to life is in the life of our oikos or our micro church. Um, now, I, I don't think I need to convince you of this, but the church has not been good at this. Like we have like, if, I'm going to walk through like four kind of like major movements of the church over the last 2000 years. And none of them have been good at living out this discipleship culture in our families of faith. Uh, you look at the liturgical model that has reigned in most of the world for 2000 years and it's be baptized as, as an infant experience mass, take your first communion, go to catechism to learn, be confirmed, and then just keep going to mass. There's like a, re a really simple flow to it. And you just do that. And then you'll be really good at going to mass. That's what that'll be your thing. Uh, one thing I like to say is it takes 10,000 hours to become really good at something. And if you were to go to church for a thousand years, you'd have just about 10,000 hours and become really good at sitting in church and listening to me. That's, that's what it's designed for is to sit and to listen doesn't get us where we want to go. And then we have kind of the, the Bible church model that emerged in the Protestant Reformation. And so we go to sermons and we go to Sunday school and we keep going to sermons and we go to Sunday school and hopefully you get it at some point and it just works for you. But what we found is that this sort of knowledge has not transformed who we are. Knowledge itself has no power to transform. We see the program model of the mega churches and the seeker sensitive churches and the late 20th century so you go to kids church then you go to middle school ministry then you go to high school ministry then you go to young adult ministry then you go to young professionals group and then you go to church until you die and hopefully you get it and hopefully you serve two times a month preferably in kids ministry this is the way that we do things the program model is built for an outcome that we are living in which is unformed people who know about god but don't know how to walk in the way of god and then you have the charismatic model, which is we're going to pray and we're going to sing until we get it. Like it's just we're just going to keep going until we get it. But we're missing this formative piece of living in community. The problem is that Jesus would look at all of these. I think that Jesus would come to church today in most places in the world and go, what do you guys call this thing again? And we'd go, oh, we call it church. And he'd go, why do you call it that? <laughs> and he'd, he'd just feel completely lost in what we do because it's so foreign to what he taught his disciples to do. He'd be like, I told you to go make disciples and, and this is what you thought I meant? <laughs> I, I must have said it wrong. Is there some, I said it in Aramaic. Did they say it in Greek? I knew they shouldn't have said it in Greek. That's the problem. So, so we're gonna imitate Jesus to the last details and that includes the method of making disciples and we think that that happens in what we call oikos, which is building these extended spiritual families on mission. Now, I, I want to give a little aside because we've been talking about family a lot. And um, for some of you, that word family conjures up a lot of pain and it conjures up a lot of anxiety about what you are in your stage of life. When we're talking about family, we're not talking about a, an intact, heterosexual, cisgendered couple with two kids that live in the suburbs, okay? That's not what we're talking about. When we talk about family, we're talking about the kind of oikos where single people belong and lead within. Primarily because Jesus himself was a single man and Paul was a single man. And they're the ones who showed us how to build these oikos, these family on mission. 
It's not just for married people. It's for single people. It's for divorced people. It's for single parents. It's for couples with no kids and couples with eight kids and empty nesters and teenagers and widows and widowers and college students. Yes, even college students. God wants the oikos to be the place where we are formed. And two weeks ago, we talked about this idea that there's kind of three types of people in, in the, um, the heliosphere of the church. Okay, we'll call it that. First is this. Friends are those who serve the cause when they can. And so some of you are kind of friends with God and friends with church, and you're around and you're connected. Um, but it's just kind of like you show up when it works for you and you're kind of still trying out this whole Jesus thing. And I want to say like some of you, that's a major step in your spiritual journey. And we want to honor that and just say, I'm so glad you're here. And I'm so glad that you've stepped into this invitation to experience God's family. And then some of you said, you know what? I want more. I want to, I want to grow and I want to figure this thing out. And so you're the followers who submit your skills and your resources to have Jesus transform you. And many of you are in like discipleship huddles or some of our um, programs that are built towards helping you connect and to grow. And that's a huge step forward to say, I'm not just going to show up, but I'm going to be transformed by the experience. And then kind of the third step is the family, those who are a part of the Oikos are those who surrender completely, laying down their agenda for the agenda of Jesus. It's saying, I'm going to step aside and not say that it's about me anymore. It's about my oikos. It's about the family God's called me to. And I'm going to say this is a this is a massive step, and it feels like a huge, a huge loss to the independence and autonomy that we value so deeply. But this is where the kingdom of God comes to life is when we say, I'm going to be committed to you even when it's hard. I'm going to sit through those hard conversations. I'm going to show up when I don't want to. I'm going to show up when the game's on. I'm going to show, I'm not saying that you shouldn't go to the Super Bowl tonight. I'm just saying like, like we, we got to, we, until you say no to something, to say yes to something else, you don't know what you value. And when we're talking about Oikos, we're not talking about um, a casual acquaintanceship or, a dinner party. Um, I have a dinner club with like two of my best friends and we all love going there and we, we struggle so much to make it happen because we have so much else going on in our lives, but we love each other. So we like commit and we, we have this text conversation where like, we got to figure it out this week because we need time together. We actually need time together. The question is how are we building those sorts of connection points? Oikos is about covenant. The family always starts with covenant, whether that's a marriage covenant or it's people saying to one another, I'm here for you no matter what. But the covenant, like, I don't know if you realize this, but people don't take covenants that seriously. (laughs) Maybe you've seen our divorce rate. People do not take covenants that seriously. Uh, Maybe you haven't done much business. People do not take covenants very seriously. So covenants are just the start of family where we commit to say, I'm going to be in it with, with you. But what happens is the covenant is revealed through how we live, through what our our lives look like. And what that means in our oikos is there's an invitation period where we say, come, follow me. Come be a part of my spiritual family. 
I want you to join in with what we're doing. But then at some point you say, you know what? This is my oikos. These are my people. Ride or die, I'm in. Let's do this thing. And what happens is that it becomes a, basically I think of it as a lifetime commitment where you're going to stay there until you either form a new oikos or you join an oikos. And that's where God has you. It's where there's shared purpose, this this calling of God. It's where there's geographic proximity. There's access to your life. Um, If you don't see people, are they a part of your life or are they just an idea in your head? Have you ever thought about that? Like you you have these people that you see their, their pictures flow through your social media and you've known them for 20 or 30 years, but you actually never see them. Are they real people? Are they actual people that you have meaningful connection with? It requires us to live our lives together and it requires us fundamentally to have what we would say is predictable patterns where we, we create rhythms of our life where we're committed to gathering together. And this is something that, so we, we're in process. We say we're, we have these oikos of microchurch, but all of us who are part of microchurch are like, I got no idea what this thing is or how we're doing it. We're all like pretty bad at it at this point. We're like trying to figure it out. We're, we, we, we're on a multi-year journey to figure out what it looks like to live in these sorts of communities. But I think the piece that we've been missing is this predictable pattern, these rhythms that Jesus had that we want to take in. Um, All right. Last week, Bob uh, really, he dove into what spiritual parenting is. And if you didn't watch it, I really recommend you go back and watch that sermon Um, because it is what it means to live as and be and submit ourselves to spiritual parenting. Um, the fundamental reality is you connect yourself to one another through submission to one another. Mutual submission and also submission to those who are beyond you in your life. But the key point, to, the key part to oikos, to this household of faith, is surrendering our will to live in community. Surrendering our preferences. How does that feel? The idea of surrendering your will and surrendering your preferences to choose community over what you want. The idea sounds nice, right? It's like, wouldn't that be nice to live in a community where people gave up what they wanted for the sake of others? But the reality is much, much more difficult. We think that spiritual parenting is a key part of that. Because it it requires somebody to say, I'm going to show up and I'm going to be the center of this community by dying to myself and loving and serving others. Um, And fundamentally, it's not a position of authority. It's a relationship of submission to one another. Uh, You know, we, we ask people to be spiritual parents to us because we want to emulate their lives. Do you have somebody that you want your life to look like them? I want you to think about it. I want you to come up with a a face in your head. Is there somebody that you want your life to look like them? Because until you have that, until there's somebody that's further along that you actually want to put yourself under, you can't grow spiritually. 
you can kind of spin your wheels and show up and learn things, but you actually can't grow until you're able to say, I want my spiritual life to look like that person. Um, some of you are like after last week, you're probably feeling like you're, you're not ready to start Noikos and be spiritual parents. I'm not going to actually raise your hands because you'd be embarrassed, but I'm, I'm betting some of you are like, I want I feel called the lead, but the idea of this spiritual parenting is like really difficult. And it's, it's probably because our relationship with the father is not real good. And we don't understand what it means to be spiritual parents. And here's the deal. None of us are ready for that role. When you look at Paul, he's constantly kind of building up Timothy being like, Hey, um, you have what it takes. I've shown you how to be a spiritual parent. I've taught you all this stuff and I want you to take that stuff and I want you to teach faithful men and women who will be able to teach other people also. And so some of you, like you actually look like Jesus and you sound like Jesus and your life has been formed in the way of Jesus. And we need to kick you out the door and say, go build a, a spiritual family, invite people in and show them how to walk with God. Some of you are, are really, you aren't ready and you need a season under a spiritual parent or a rabbi to follow and learn how to make disciples. I like to think of like Paul between the time he's converted and the time that he steps on his first mission feels like 14 years where he spent some time in Arabia and then he's discovered by Barnabas and then Barnabas brings him under his wing and shows him how to make disciples. He had to have that. Even though he had seen Christ, he had to have the formation of the apostles in the way of Jesus. And so some of you, you really need that. Otherwise, you can't step into the spiritual maturity and authority that God's calling you to. So if, if no one loves you or listens to you or serves you, that's how we know that we're ready to be a spiritual parent is that people actually want to have a little taste of our lives. That's when you know you're ready. If no one around you is saying, hey, I really like how you follow Jesus and I want to learn from you, then you may not be ready for that role. Or if the people that you've submitted to aren't telling you to step into that role, then you may not be ready. And that's okay. It takes a long time to be ready to step into that spiritual parent role. Um, some, some of you need to find some spiritual parents and you need to say, hey, I want to follow you as you follow Jesus. Would you show me how you've learned to walk in the way of Jesus? And honestly, we've got a lot of people in our community who look and smell and taste like Jesus because their lives have been shaped by him. And that's the work that we need to do. Um, so the question is, are you, are you in a spot where you need to submit yourself to somebody else as a spiritual parent? Or are you in a spot where you need to submit yourself to becoming the process of becoming a spiritual parent to others and pouring into them? And I would say this, humility is the key thing that's going to move you forward in your spiritual life. And I, I got four verses here that I, I hope will convince you. <laughs> Romans 12, if you get your Bibles, we'll be in Romans for a couple of years. Romans 12, verse 3. Uh, Paul, and or the writer of Romans, is saying this. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Like our, our key uh, virtue as a community should be humility. It shouldn't be authority and lording over one another as the Gentiles do, but rather in humility, submitting ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is what it looks like. 
Romans 12, verse 16, same chapter. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. So if you think you got it all figured out, you don't, okay? If you, th- if you think that you know how to follow Jesus and that everybody should listen to you and no one actually wants to, you really are in a world of hurt because you actually need to submit yourself in humility to others and to Christ. Um, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Mark chapter 9, verse 35. And he sat down and he called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he should be last of all and servant of all. So when we're talking about spiritual parenting, we're really talking about I need to submit myself to others so I can grow and others need to submit themselves to me so that I can lead them. And that's the way that the kingdom of God is passed on generation to generation to generation. And this is really hard to do because it requires us to like let people have access to our inner lives. Are you guys ready to let somebody challenge you? We like the idea of being discipled as long as it means that they just give me information and they don't look at my life. Because if they look at my life, they're going to challenge me to be transformed in the way of Jesus. I've had men and women who have been spiritual leaders in my life at every stage of my life. Some of those I chose and some of those they grabbed me by the ear and took me under their wing in good ways and in bad ways. That's an unexpected notification. Uh, turning my notification. Um, but this submission that we're talking about, we're, we're not talking about um, like this weird sort of authoritarian regime like anybody who tries to make you follow them isn't worthy to be followed. Anybody who needs coercion or manipulation to get you to follow them aren't worthy to be followed in the kingdom. It's only those who are humble who should be followed. But here's the thing. This little movement of Jesus is totally dependent on you and me submitting ourselves humbly to learn from others. Truly learning. Some of you are saying, yeah, I'm ready. Let's do this thing. And that might be true. And if that's true, let's do it. Let's roll. Let's get you rolling. But it's always this one up and one down. I have a few people in my life who are over me, who I trust, I listen to, who challenge me. One of those is Sean I'm in this discipleship relationship with. Um, Two of those are with Cindy and Bob, who are elders here. And they're older than me and they're smarter than me. So I listen to them. And they both tell me when I'm wrong. Um, which is good. Um, I've got, I've got a few people who are in organizations that I'm a part of who are in charge that I let them speak directly into what I'm doing because I want their, their knowledge. And then I've got groups of people who listen to me. Um, I've got four guys who are part of my discipleship huddle. Um, many of you who are a part of our leadership community. And then for some reason you keep showing up on Sundays and listening to me preach. So 
there must be something that you're seeing that you're you're wanting to emulate of what we're talking about and this is what it looks like one up and one down um and some of you some of you have been looking and aching for this kind of relationship you've been hoping that someone's going to take you under their wing for most of your life and and no one's come along yet and what i want to say to you is this um your spiritual parents can't be actual parents for you, okay? They can't, they can't take over your life and they're not gonna tell you what to do. Spiritual parents are gonna walk with you through life and help you and correct you and train you up in the way of Jesus. But a lot of times they're not gonna know that you are looking for them. And so what you need to do is if you want to have that kind of relationship, find somebody who follows Jesus and invite them to your house. Do you see that that's how Jesus chose his disciples is he chose them based on who invited him in, not who he invited. And so if you want to be discipled, if you want to grow in your faith, find somebody and make them teach you the way of Jesus. That's what it looks like. Um, you need to find someone further along the journey and you need to tell them that they're further along the journey and give them permission to challenge you. Now that is going to sound hard. Sometimes they're younger than you which is weird and hard, but that's the way that the uneven development of our lives look like. Um, one guy in my discipleship huddle, his name's Ernie. He's not here today, but he, I've known Ernie since I was nine years old, okay? And I invited him to be a part of my huddle two years ago because I know that there's some things in his life that have not been formed by the way of Jesus yet that I could help him with. And he's... 57, 59, something like that. And he humbled himself and said, I think you're right. And for two years, he's been sitting with me and there's been this massive transformation in him grabbing hold of his spiritual authority and stepping into his calling. And then he's starting a huddle with Gary here in the next month. Like, and it's because of his humility and like me being like, I felt overwhelmed by the role of taking that place in his life but God worked through it because he humbled himself and I humbled myself and we just kind of saw what God could do and so you've got to step out and and step in and make a commitment and say I'm going to make space in my life for this person to lead me I'm going to invite the band to come up because we're, we're getting late um, some of you are wondering how does how do you fit how does your life fit into an oikos or this this family, this extended spiritual family we call microchurch. Maybe you're thinking we got too many kids, we, we're too busy, we're too private, we're too scared. But this is the battle we have to wage, that belonging to the household of God is what it means to be a part of his family and his kingdom. And, and we can't ask, how can Oikos and the family of God fit into my life, but rather... What do I need to change in my life so that I don't miss out on the joy of being a part of God's family? How do I change my life so I don't miss out on being formed in the way of Jesus? Because 150 or 200 people cannot be your oikos. You can't be known or loved or seen in a crowd. And so what I want to invite you to is step into the oikos of God. Step into the invitation to be a part of his family in these smaller units. Some of you need to step into your spiritual authority and, and lead a spiritual family because you're there. And some of you are like what I'd say are like spiritual uncles or aunts. You know what I mean? Spiritual uncles and aunts. 
like not spiritual parents, but they have authority in your life because they're a part of the Oikos. And that's how we think about our Oikos is a, a team of people leading together who have spiritual authority and have people who are learning the way of Jesus in those spaces. And when you look even a, even a hundred years ago, the family was filled with orphans and it was filled with multiple three, four generations of widows and widowers who had been a part of the family of uncles and aunts who had never had kids, of neighbors who had been bereft of family. And that's the way the family of God comes together, is that he brings together people who are ready for those things. Next week, we're going to dive into what it looks like to step into these predictable patterns, the kind of structure that we need to walk with God. But I, I wanted to finish up this little bit on spiritual parenting and spiritual families to make sure that you don't miss the call and invitation to say, I'm going to reshape my life to be a part of the family of God. It happens in those spaces. Let's pray together. Lord God, uh, these sorts of teachings are hard and they're difficult to imagine how my life would look if I submitted myself to a spiritual parent or if I stepped into community and experienced you in those spaces. But God, we want to get the life that comes from the way and the truth of Jesus. So help us. Give us the sort of courage that we need to say yes to you. Give us the sort of humility that we need to put ourselves underneath someone else, to learn from them how to walk with you after their lifetime of submission to your way. And may we experience the kind of joy that comes from walking in your family. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org slash connection, where you can fill out the connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at redemptionboise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.